So we're going to work with them to help them really think through what that means for if they're living this mission and the impact it's going to have. And we're going to work with them to create a visual about how everybody in that organization helps fulfill this mission. And then we'll talk to them about how are you going to use this visual as a tool to take it to the people that report to you and talk about it. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We are here today with a unique conversation. We have Nora Herding with us. And yes, we're gonna talk about leadership, creativity, and innovation, all through the lens of visual tools. Nora is a trained artist and practiced her art for many years. And now today she leads an organization she founded called ImageThink, which helps organizations embrace more visual creativity, visual strategy, visual communication, even to the point of visual conversations. So you're going to find this a fun and interesting discussion about the role of visual tools, how vital they are to creativity, storytelling, brainstorming, even helping us to deal with challenging issues within our team or organization. She's going to talk about this idea of using visual activation for creativity, innovation, and strategy really interesting. We're going to talk about the ways that using visual tools helps bring vulnerability into our conversations and even into our leadership. It is going to be a fun, unique, and interesting conversation about what does it really mean to be a visual leader to enhance and grow your organization and your leadership. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We're back here, and I've really been looking forward to this conversation today, and soon learn why. We have Nora Herding with us. She is a pioneer of visual strategy. You're going to learn what that's all about. She is passionate about expanding people's definition of creativity and believes that the best way to meet the demands of business today is to take a visual approach that brings strategic thinking and creative expression. She's got this skill and impact with businesses and her own entrepreneurial journey and prowess. Uh, she found a company called Image Think. She's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fox Business, Entrepreneur, and Inc. She's, she's famous for leading compelling conversations on the power of visual thinking and being a catalyst for personal and organizational change. She's a sought-after speaker, thought leader, and she has inspired global audiences around the world with her creative neat with her creative keynotes to some of the largest conferences in the world. So welcome, Nora. Hi, great to be here. Uh, so glad to have you. Looking forward to this conversation. So first of all, Nora, give everybody a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, sure. I, um, I was apparently bored with a pen and paper in my hand. Um, <laughs> uh drew avidly and when I went to college I was first generation kind of to college and 
decided, you know, I was on a academic track because it had a lot of practical benefits, you know, tenure track, health insurance, professorship. And um, that's what I thought I was going to do. And then uh, pretty early, I was 27. I had a, a tenure uh, position at a university and really quickly realized that my goal that I had worked for was just a failure of imagination <laughs> um, that I hadn't really considered you know, as creative as I thought I was, I hadn't actually considered a more creative career path mm. um, than what was sort of presented to me. So what do you do? You um, leave your cushy position and you move to New York with uh, no job. And um, that's, uh, that's what I did. And I fell into what we would call now sort of a design thinking uh, practice at mm. Capgemini you know, which is a global consulting company, but this was the early 2000s and they didn't call it design thinking. It was just this like, we were just like this weird group of people within the organization that, you know, put on these workshops. Um, and in that, I picked up the practice of, of graphic recording, which is visualizing uh, concepts in real times and words and pictures for these clients. And, uh, you know, and then kind of, uh, you know, went out on my own after the crash in 2009. And, you know, now uh, we're here, we are 12 years later. And my team at ImageThink, we've supported thousands and thousands of meetings. And uh, I think 27 countries and counting. Wow. wow. I love that, Nora. And we're going to help people understand what this visual recording is. But I find it fascinating. You, had a, you have a bachelor in fine arts and photography, right? And you have you are you are an artist in photography for many years. I have a and master's then, in fine arts. And you have a oh. master's in fine yeah. arts. I was doing both. I want to separate <laughs> them because I know your second one was at Ohio State University, which I'm also an alumni. So your background is in arts, and you are now a corporate strategist and innovation strategist, which some people would say doesn't fit. To me, it fits perfectly. Mm -hmm. Talk a little more about that transition where you have moved and you may not, you may still be practicing your art, but that transition from pure artist to business strategist. Yeah. Well, um, so, so Jeff, OSU, huh? Uh, <laughs> Law, all school. Right. Law school. We got, yeah. So we got something in common though. I have to tell you, I never went to a football game. Uh, maybe the only person <laughs> that went to school there <laughs> that didn't. But um, yeah, what was that journey? I mean, I think, again, part of it, 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 it image think one of our values is um, looking while leaping, you know, which is just to say, take a look at opportunity, um, take a step back. So when you jump, you you hopefully land on your feet and not in the abyss, <laughs> right? But I think that that was really sort of my own approach to how I ended up here, you know, so it was um, not this, you know, I woke up one day and had this vision of this company and then I toiled for, you know, for years to make it happen. It was more seeing um, slowly that what, you know, that there's a real interest in business and business leaders in creativity. Um, years ago, IBM did a survey of CEOs. I think it was, you know, a thousand or so global globally, and they named creativity as one of the most important, you know, qualities for a leader. 
Um, but I also find, yeah, I also find that it feels a little mystifying sometimes to organizations what that looks like. So slowly over time, these things that I just kind of took for granted as an artist in an art practice was something that businesses were sort of searching for, but couldn't quite figure out how to, you know, maybe metabolize within their own organization. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting, Nora, I've heard a couple things you've described that you do or that um, the uh, image think does. You talked about going to conferences and events and recording things. And I've seen that before. I might have met you at one of these because I've seen it in various locations. So that's one thing that image think does is let's just stick with that one for now. Okay. Talk about what you do and how you bring this skill um, and outcomes to events and conferences. Sure, sure. And that's the, that's the most sort of um, photogenic version of what we do, right? <laughs> because it's, it's public. Uh, people see it, you know, we'll be like, you know, we were at South by Southwest for years, 100,000 people. Um, and we'll be up there listening and synthesizing all the salient points of the speaker. That's so you. that there's a visual map um, of the speaker, if you will, uh, that helps underscore all of their content, uh, creates another channel of, of expression or documentation. And at those kind of conferences, it's impossible to see everything, right? And it's also at a certain point, you just get information overload. Right. So this creates um, for the attendees and for the conference, a documentation that people can relate to during and after. Yeah. So I've had, uh, I've hired people to do that for different sessions that I've done as well. And um, what I found is it it really creates a, a different environment at the same time, because as people are listening to the speaker, they're also watching the graphic recording going on if it's in a large scale. And they're, they're able to see that. And then they're able to connect ideas that maybe they didn't connect themselves. And then afterwards, there's this visual representation of what just happened. So now there's additional discussion after the fact which really brings, brings out, you know, really solidifies a lot of what has been learned along the way too. So it sounds like or what you just described is that function is capturing other people's ideas in a visual form. And there's more to the impact of it, but that's what you're doing. But it sounds like your organization and you are doing a lot inside of companies hmm. to help them use visuals use visual visualization well let, i'm using i'm not sure i'm using the right word you're bringing this into the company so talk about that because that's the work where you're helping companies do business differently yeah that, that's great jeff because um that's the the majority of what we do um and the real the the, the real power is kind of within the organization we I call it visual leadership, right? And you, you can be a visual leader. You don't have to be the person holding the pen, but use understanding the, the innate um, power of visuals that it's a very old technology that we can use. And when leaders embrace that in different ways, that's what I call, you know, a path of, of visual leadership. So in those cases, um, internally, it's really not just mapping an example of a conference the keynote speaker who, you know, you hope is very coherent about what they're <laughs> delivering, you know, and clear in an organization, it can be really messy, right? It could be 
um, brainstorming. It can be setting strategy. So the group is thinking through these things together and we're creating one shared picture yeah. of everyone's contributions, which is uh, uh, more challenging for our team. So more senior people do it. But really then besides just it being a tool of engagement, like Craig was talking about, it becomes a tool of understanding, mm -hmm. of alignment, of clarity within the group. And then you can use it in the same way afterwards to carry the momentum of those decisions or to become a storytelling or a talking point or a point of alignment for the leadership as you know, they start to action those things that come out eventually in those sessions. So if you think about it this way, after a meeting, you know, a brainstorming session, something like that, where you're coming up with some ideas, you have this visual representation. This is something very different from, okay, I have notes from the meeting. Nobody's going to read those, right? But you have this visual story of what's going on, and it's so much more engaging. So, Nora, I'm, I'm really curious because in your introduction, we talked about you expand people's definition of creativity, but that feels like a very foundational piece. So let's talk about that. <laughs> what are some of the typical definitions and how are you expanding them? Yeah. So, you know, when we were chatting beforehand, you know, and you said that you, you yourself have sort of had a different um, perspective of this now. And I found, you know, in doing this work, uh, one of the things I love is just having people come up to me and share their experience of what this is like, mm -hmm. you know, and it can be from, oh my God, I used to draw, but my parents wanted me to be an engineer, you know, and you see like there's this like almost desire people have, or you hear people say, I can never do this because I can't draw a straight line. Right. <laughs> and I, my sense is a lot of folks feel like unless that there's people who have the title creative in their job description, right? And those are going to be the creative people <laughs> and everybody else, you know, isn't. And that's just such a limiting idea, yep. right? I feel like, you know, you talked about, yeah, I have a master's in art. I still do some visual art practice, but I feel like at all the time uh, of doing that, that, creating this company and running this company is probably the biggest creative challenge I've ever had. Totally agree. Yeah. And so leaders, you know, when you, it's a mindset around problem solving, around approaching things and around how you express yourself. There's outlets for creativity every day for every person um, that we come in contact with at image think. And so really helping people recognize that and feel more confident about their own creative ability is, um, is also a passion of mine and something that I try to address in workshops and trainings that we do around these tools. Yeah, I've done a lot of visual and tactile uh, artwork, but what I realized was I really wanted to get that deeper level of creativity with a lot more factors. And that's why I call business is my new creative outlet. And there's so much going on. And if you think about it, anytime we're solving a problem, we're being creative. So everybody has creativity to some degree. They're, they're just looking for different ways of applying something or connecting ideas. Yeah. Well, Nora, I, you, you, go ahead, Nora. Oh, no, no. That, I, I completely agree. And I'm curious, Jeff, you were saying that you kind of shifted your thinking around this. And when you did, did that change the way you approached 
your business or, or, or challenges, as Craig said, that arose? It, well, it did in two ways. One is I believe that uh, we got to be really careful what words we say to ourselves. <laughs> totally. And so I was constantly telling myself that I wasn't creative. Mm. And I'm sure that kept me from being creative in these unique ways, uh, because I always had, I, I had it in my head for a long time that creative was about art. And it was about whether you're painting or drawing, things like that. And I really don't feel like I have those gifts. Maybe I do. I'm a very good writer. Uh, I tend to write um, nonfiction. So I start when I did that, it did two things. It took the judgment off myself that I'm not creative. The second was it empowered me and gave me permission to be creative everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I found that how I see things and how to me, that's part of my creativity is I often see things differently than other people. And I'll see an hour or I'll see, and I can take those, or I can take an experience. You take a meeting or a conversation, you put it in visual form. I don't draw it. I don't write it. But in my head, I conceptualize it in something often in a metaphor. That's one of the forms of creativity. So it expanded my creativity by letting go of that old definition. Now you're creative with questions, Jeff, and also with, with words, you know, the way that you phrase things and the questions that you ask tend to be something that not everybody comes across, you know, in the same way that you do. Well, and I think a lot of that, to your point, Nora, was, I don't know if that would have happened if I had held on to the old definition. Yeah, thanks. That, that was my suspicion too, because I think that if you're operating from a place that there is a creative potential within your you know, your day job or the task at hand, then you might approach it you know, differently. But if you're going in saying, I'm, this is a creative opportunity, then I feel like from the get-go that sets up a different expectation or a different mindset or a different set of permissions, you know? And for me, one of the things, like if you even stripped it down beyond creativity, that I feel like is the fuel of that is just curiosity, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think when you look at the the creative aspects of of business, you know, oftentimes we we say we want more innovation in our companies, but we don't don't allow people to fail. That's one part. The other is that we don't realize that because we have these set processes and procedures, that people don't feel like they have the creative potential in what they're doing. Whereas if we allow them to say, hey, if you see a better way of doing something, then let's talk about it. So Nora, it, it sounds like, though I heard your description, as you said, the smaller part of your business is doing these events, conferences. The bigger part is going to a company. And part of that work is capturing their conversations, their collaboration in a visual form. That's part of it. But I'm also gathering that you engage your clients in different types of creative and visual processes themselves. So you're not just the capturer of their experience. So talk about that and how that benefits leadership and their own creativity. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, in the 12 years that we've, we've been supporting clients at ImageThink, we started to see um, certain patterns emerge, whether it was you know, a tech company or a healthcare company or a retail company. Um, and we, we eventually I kind of created a framework. It's a little bit of a hybrid between like a design thinking framework and something that was based in biology called the cycle of experience. 
Um, and, and it's really just a simple, think about it as a life cycle of an idea. And so when a client comes to us, we can understand, you know, based on the objectives that they have, kind of where they are in this life cycle and what kind of mindset that they would want to foster in, uh, in the participants, where they kind of are in their planning and where, more importantly, they need to get to next. So that's the sort of the first thing we do. And then within that, there's a set of exercises and visual tools that map for us to where that client might be in this journey. So as time has gone, has gone on, we've support clients in, as you said, you know, the keynotes or the, the straight visuals in these internal sessions. But now we're also designing and facilitating sometimes the, the whole experience for the client. Oh, fantastic. Um, you know, using kind of this as a rubric or a framework, if you will, um, on how to understand where they are and how to apply some of these visual activations. That sounds very fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I love that phrase, visual activations. And I think you alluded to it maybe when we even before we started recording. You were talking about performance anxiety, or at least that's what I heard in it. Something about the challenge, because I know I've had them too, the resistance people have to doing visual something visual, if they don't believe that's their talent. So do you run into that? And how do you help people move past that? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of resistance sometimes to people thinking um, that they, they haven't picked up a pen or a pencil and made a drawing in 25 years or something, <laughs> you know, or only for their kid. Um, so there's a lot of barriers to that. But I don't, I don't really care what it looks like. That's the thing, um, because and, and we talk about this, we're neurologically hardwired to find meaning in pictures. There's a term called pareidolia, which explains, you know, there's an Instagram account called I see faces everywhere, yeah, right? Yeah. Where, where you're, you're driving and you see a tree trunk and you're like, oh, my God, that looks like an old man. You know, maybe it means that we're narcissistic as a species because we're constantly seeing human attributes and anthropomorphizing things. Yeah. We're putting emotions on things. I mean, think about emojis, right? <laughs> and how much context we put on those. So the reality is, is like your very rudimentary stick person is going to actually deliver a lot of content to your audience. And as a leader, you have to remember your goal is just about communicating and connecting and getting clarity. It's not about whether you're an amazing artist. So these are some of the things that we talk about where we just force people to sort of um, do some exercises to kind of get over that and see that, uh, that it's really a minimal viable product is what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the minimal viable product that's going to get your idea out so that someone else could connect with it. And it's, it's not as difficult as, as people imagine it's going to be. Hmm, good point. So Nora, you made the comment that you don't care what it looks like, but I'm guessing part of the resistance is the people doing it care, despite the fact that you tell them you don't care. Um, so I'm curious, really curious about if it's not too much of the trade secrets, how do you help people move past that again another form of resistance to even engaging in the process yeah so i think um part of that is just throwing 
them into the experience. So one thing that I like to do, and, and, and sometimes we just do this in, in workshops that aren't even about visual leadership, is to ask people to do a visual bio. So, you know, I've been in thousands of meetings and these like icebreaker questions like, oh, what is, you know, one truth and a lie or, you know, what is your favorite food? They kill me. They get so boring. Right. <laughs> so instead of doing that, we ask people to basically tell us a few things about themselves, but just using drawings, no words. So everybody panics, you know, because <laughs> nobody's done this. And um, I can tell you that the first question, what is your name, is usually the hardest one for people to figure out. Um, but then we go around and people share these things. And what they find is, A, it's really funny because it's also this great, everyone's vulnerable. Uh, people are laughing. People realize when they see other people's drawings they're, that these drawings are pretty rough but they get it, right? They remember what the person said. They learn something different about the way the person thinks, right? Yeah. There's more nuance um, in how someone might depict their name or how they might depict their role when they have to put it in a picture. And by the end, I think people are sold because they see even as the, the recipient of this, how much more information is uncovered in this activity that if we just went around and I said, I'm Nora Herding, I'm CEO of Image Think, and, uh, you know, my, you know, my favorite food is avocado or whatever. <laughs> right. So that's, you know, to give you a, a, a real life example, Jeff, that's one of the ways that we start to get people to just really experience the power of this and sort of. Oh, I, I, I really like that one. I know what I'm doing in my next meeting. <laughs> Great idea. I, I, I got a meeting in next month that I'm trying to figure it's virtual. I'm trying to think, how do we do so? The, thank you for that idea. I will borrow it with attribution. Send me a photo. Let me know. I, yeah. I, I always really like if it's within an organization to ask them to draw their role. Ooh. Because that <laughs> reveals a lot of information about the way that person thinks about their job. Wow. So do you see like piles of poop and stuff like that? Sometimes, I mean, you can learn like some people are very literal. They draw a computer and they're yeah. like, I sit at a computer and I'm on the phone and that's what I draw. Other people are metaphorical. They're like, here's a scribble of chaos. Then it comes through me. I organize all of it, right? Um, some people draw a lot of other people when they describe their role. They're like, I'm connecting all these different people. So. Um, I think that that is, uh, there's a lot to, to uncover there, um, when you ask people to just describe what it is that they think they do every day. Oh, I tell you, I, I, this would not apply to me personally, but what flashed in my head when you said that is I imagined a leader drawing themselves with a target on their back and like a hundred arrows in their back. And I could see how that would really really open up a conversation. So it allows, it feels like it allows vulnerability, but it is with a, a safety valve. Or, or the other side of that, Jeff, they're, they're drawing the connections to the other people, but they're in the center. Well, uh, or, <laughs> or there's something that looks like God or, or Moses on the mountaintop. <laughs> well, that's right. so, so Jeff, just to go back to that, because you touched on something that's really important. And I think that this is true. Um, is 
in the visuals, I've been with clients that had some really kind of serious dysfunction. Um, usually between like middle management and the C-suite, right? And things were able to be articulated, I think, because exactly what you said, that there is this layer of metaphor or there's this layer of humor. I worked with this um, luxury brand where they were talking about, you know, the seventh floor is the killing floor and that's where all the C-suite is. And, you know, I drew this knife with blood and they were like, yes, yes. And, and the second day, the leadership came in and they had to walk them through this, you know, and it, like that came out and wow. they spoke about things that I feel like they hadn't articulated before because it was externalized in these pictures. Um, and I've seen that happen. You know, that one's a really extreme example, but even these things that like the target on the back or um, it gives people a way, I think, to sometimes articulate things that would be more difficult in a way that's safer. Hmm. Yeah, it feels like there's, uh, in a healthy way, a moving forward way, a almost depersonalization of the issue, but in a good way. Because if it's personal, then it becomes like me, me saying to you, Nora, let's say we're on a team, uh, you're a killer. That's I'm probably not going to say it and probably not going to go well. But if I can articulate that, there's the, I, I'm really liking this. It feels like it creates some desensitization and an open space for the conversation that couldn't happen without that. Right. And sometimes we put it there for them. So if we're talking about like a strategic plan, we often use, and I have a book, Draw Your Big Ideas, and this is a template, actually. Everyone can, can see it in this book. It's so versatile where... You know, it's basically kind of like a roadmap, right? So on the right side, you have the future. And on the left side, you have the current state. And then we're like, okay, how do we bridge those two realities? Um, but we'll put in places for obstacles. So, you know, in, in this particular example, it's a bunch of sharks in the water. So, you know, because we know that there's, there's something keeping us like from the, our desired future, right? So we, in some ways, force the hand sometimes a little bit to say, what are the sharks, right? Like we have this drawing, we need to fill it out. Here's the placeholder. We know that there's an elephant in the room or there's this big boulder or there's this oil slick that we're going to hit, um, you know, and, and we try to make space for that sometimes, you know, other groups, you know, they're like, yeah, you're a killer and it's a bloody knife, but um, you can also kind of with the visuals almost create and direct the group where you think they need to go by steering them or creating a visual container for them to fill, if you will. One thing you've mentioned, um, how it becomes fun and people are laughing. So I'm curious, how intentional are you as the facilitator about injecting humor into it? So it can be a play, it can be playful, that might as well open up that conversation that couldn't happen without that. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I was funnier than I am. I mean, it'd be great to be like, yeah, I'm a comedian, but uh, I think you just, you set the parameters for the group and those things come out, you know? Um, so it, it doesn't have to necessarily be us carrying that for the group, but you create those conditions where people maybe feel a little vulnerable, 
they're asked to do something that no one really feels like they're good at, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, like Craig's already laughing. There's usually like in these exercises, people are cracking up as they go. True. Um, so it, uh, it's not something that we have to foster too much as much as like make the conditions and they'll just, it'll arise. I'll have a- well, now do you have to set this, the framework of saying, okay, we're laughing with you, not at you. You know, this, this is a place to suspend your, um, you know, you, you have to feel like you're on top of the mountain, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that again, like opening up the idea that everybody's creative, talking about their creative confidence, mm-hmm. talking about what's the real intention. The intention is to communicate and connect. It doesn't have to be beautiful. You know, I, I I think once you do that, lots of people are willing to go there. There's always a few people who feel a little bit more awkward, but, um, you know, I, I think maybe people are hungry for like a little bit of play and a little bit of permission to, to like you said, Craig, to fail a little bit, yeah. you know, um, and, and not feel like they have to be perfect. And it helps that it feels so removed from the thing that, like their day job, for instance, yeah. you know, we were talking about creativity and how, how to spur it too. And I think that sometimes what we'll do is we'll give people a creative exercise that has nothing to do with the problem that they have to solve. Right. And that lowers the stakes and gets them comfortable. And then we can move into, okay, now how do we solve this business challenge? I could see a good opener is using telestrations, the the game telestrations, where you have to draw a picture. So you're given a word, right? So you write the word, pass it on to the next person. They have to draw it. Then the next person has to take that and write down the word for it. And the next person has to take that and draw it and so forth. And it's it's a really, you know, it's it's like the telephone line, right? But it's switching back and forth between language and visual. And that would kind of be a good starter to get them going. I love that because we do that and I never knew what that game was called. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we do it internally in image thing. I haven't done it with a, um, with a, it'll be like a whole sentence, you know? Um, but yeah, exactly. That I, telestrations. I never knew that Craig, but yeah, a, that's a, one of our family games. We play a lot. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. 
With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back. So, Nora, I'm curious, just from a strategy standpoint, some of the work I've done outside of business, actually, on some retreats, there's some drawing involved. And one of the strategies that we use to address some of the resistance, and I understand it also is intended to open up different creative channels, is to have people draw with their non-dominant hand. <laughs> and I'm, I'd love to see here, do you do that? But also, is that what's the basis of that in terms of opening up creativity that way? Yeah. So um, sometimes when we do things internally, image think we have there's part of our team that this is their job, they're visual strategist. And then there's other parts of the, the team that, you know, do the support and the business function. So to make it fair, sometimes we make the visual strategist draw with their left hand, their non-dominant <laughs> hand. And everyone else can draw with their dominant hand. And sometimes yeah. it's maddening because they're still so good, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think that that's A, it's to really get people to think about the process and not the product, Jeff. Um, something similar to that is have you ever done like, um, like a blind contour drawing? So you have people draw, but they can't look at the paper and they can't pick up the pen. Um, you know, so that then that becomes about looking and observing and not thinking about the, the product, um, you know, or the end result, which there's a lot, you know, we could, we could, we could say about that as well. But yeah, I think that that is also a great exercise. I just, yeah, let me just close that loop. One of the other things I saw that worked so beautifully, and to your point, like it's even emotional on some of these retreats, the topic is mission, personal mission, and having people draw it. And then some people started having them draw it, not draw it, but use finger paints. Like going back to, you know, yeah. three-year-old kind of stuff. And you look at the finished product and it was moving. Yeah. Even if you couldn't understand all of it, it didn't matter because the passion sort of came out in the drawing and it wasn't, it really wasn't about the quality of what it did. It look like it was supposed to, like you just look at it and it just, it moved me emotionally because it was visual that way. And it was done in that format versus writing it down. Yeah. Well, I think that in that case, right. With the finger painting, Jeff, is it's, it's set up in a way immediately where it's not the expectation is going to be, it's not going to be representational. <laughs> it, it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be detailed. So you've decoupled that expectation for people, right? From kind of the end result, uh, sort of in a similar way. But for, again, for leaders, it's about, this is just a tool for you to communicate and connect with people. Yeah. So you have to kind of get your own ego out of it and just yes. say, is it effective? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and laugh at yourself. You know, that's something right. that so many people need to learn to do. <laughs> um, so how do you deal with the, the whole issue of, okay, now we're all remote. 
how do you how do you bring people together? Do you use a whiteboard feature in, in a tool or, or what do you do? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about conferences. I was like, wow, this feels like an anachronism <laughs> describing Flashback. this, right? Yeah. So um, we had this capability before COVID, but a lot of clients, you know, was there wasn't a lot of demand for it. But we work uh, digitally as well. So um, it's really effective because a lot of times clients are having sessions and they're virtual and they want to elevate it, right? They want yeah. The, you know, it's an important leadership meeting or it's an important event for their clients that they're hosting and they want people to feel that it's not just another Zoom meeting, right? Because everything is flattened and kind of compressed into the space that we're in. Right. Good point. So that's one thing right off the bat by having us there. But we'll we'll work in the same way, you know, listening, synthesizing, visualizing. And those visuals will, will be, you know, instead of a PowerPoint, the, the screen. Um, so again, the same, the same value is coming out of it. I think it's really important because you have a follow through for, for people. You have something that, again, you're keeping people engaged. You're trying to listen and build a collective picture, which right now is really, really important. And then you have that as a tool afterwards to socialize. So that, that bit is the same. Um, what we've noticed though with clients is a lot of clients coming to us and, and the objective being in part to just try to connect with their team. Yeah. You know, people feel disconnected or they have hired new people and they never got to be in the same room together. Um, and they're understanding that they need to be more intentional about mm -hmm. how they're orchestrating or building a time for connectivity. Um, and so in some of the designing of the sessions, there's a lot more in desire for that and intentionality in that now that we're virtual. Whereas I think that sometimes those things would just happen for teams when they were meeting face-to-face. -face, and now we have to kind of engineer it a bit more. And when you're thinking about that, I, I would imagine that part of the pushback on this is, wow, this takes a lot of time. You know, we're already running thin. So what's what's the real benefit here? Because clearly it goes beyond just creating pretty pictures. Right. And that's a good point, Craig. And that's probably something, whether you're going to work visually in these meetings or not as a listener to, to think about, because, you know, before we would meet, we'd walk into a room, we could look around and see who was there. I could walk over to you, Craig, and then we could like go have a Danish and then we could sit down and make eye contact with everybody. You know, obviously that's not happening anymore. And so carving out more time for some of these, you know, sometimes these activities that we just talked about will do um, virtually, you know, like the visual bios or whatnot um, and really slow down the meeting um, to make sure that these, there's times for these kind of things and that there's ways for people to connect. And, you know, virtual time is different than in-person meeting time. You know, people can't be six hours on a Zoom. Um, so we find that we advise clients to spread a meeting out over maybe two days, you know, um, and that you can't quite get the same cadence out of a virtual meeting as an in-person meeting and just adjusting that expectation. Mm -hmm. um, and building a time for smaller groups to connect to is also something that, that we've done and we've seen clients embrace. So one last thing is I'm wondering, do you ever get into the three dimension, the third dimension? 
you know, are we, or do you ever create something in space or maybe even the fourth dimension and show how things morph over time? Yeah. Wow. This is like getting like very cosmic now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, it's like if you're planning a building, right? You're planning the construction. Well, you lay the foundation, then you do this. And so there's, there's actually a, a real need to see it in the fourth dimension, to see how it builds up over time. And certain things, certain plans, strategic plans, okay, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. And what does this look like now? I could see how, you know, with Play-Doh or whatever else, you're, you can construct the, the different stages of, of a project. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, and there's things like Lego, like innovative play and whatnot. Now that we're, we're all kind of compressed to this two-dimensional space, <laughs> um, the, not so much having people work in three dimensions, but definitely four dimensions where, you know, you can overlay or animate, like this is, our, this is where we are now, this is where we're going to go. Um, we were working with a healthcare client around a patient journey and we'll help visualize for patients like in these groups, like mm. what has been your experience with this disease? How has it evolved? How have you changed, right? And that becomes very valuable. So we just did a project where all of that is time-based and clickable. So the patients now have this path and they can kind of go into different points and go into different portals mm. for more information, depending on where they are in the journey and how it's visualized for them. That makes sense. I have a, my first business partner, he has developed an AI and artificial intelligence assisted intelligence platform. He's connected that to the Microsoft HoloLens, which allows you to see things in your three-dimensional space and interact with other people. So now you can see the other person engaging with you. They can see your whiteboard. You can see other things. And what he says is that being able to take this huge amount of data and then make sense of it in the third dimension, where now it's it's kind of like a three-dimensional um, mind map. And you're you're now saying, okay, so here's the center of the, the focus is now in the middle. Well, if we move that off and take this next idea that's connected to it, and now what if we dig down into that? And so that visual exploration and the the ability to collaborate with people is very, very different when we're looking at this in a visual way versus just talk. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you my team has been really interested in, in AR and VR for a while. We went out and visited Google. They were working on a project a couple of years ago. They got, you know, they let us play with it. Um, so I think there's a lot of interest there, but right now it's, um, it doesn't seem like it's quite scaled yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, but still $2,000 for that HoloLens. Yeah, it's super heavy too. You want to wear it for a while, but that is, I think, going to be when when that becomes easier and more scalable. I think that it's going to open up just so many different things for a lot of experiences, for sure. Yeah, especially as we're working remotely, you know, it seems yeah. like adding that that extra dimension to it could be worthwhile. I mean, you're spending that much on a computer. Why not on the interface? <laughs> so, Nora, you've talked a number of times, you've referenced what do they do with this in the future? In the sense of you've got your conferences, you've got your capturing of a meeting, but then you create experiences for the organization, the team, the leaders. But you've said several times, what's the follow on? You talked about, uh, I like the phrase, tools to socialize within the organization. 
give us an idea of what that, no pun intended, looks like. <laughs> and how do you give those people the tools? Because I could see one form of resistance being, what's well, great that you helped us create this. How are we supposed to create this kind of thing? Right, right. So it, it kind of falls back on where they are kind yeah. of in that framework that I talked about and how it gets used. But we're working with a group right now. Um, you know, they have a mission like most companies. And um, our client really has been kind of the one man ambassador for this mission. And he wants everyone in this. It's a distribution company to really understand, you know, the bigger goal that they're serving. So we're going to work with them to help them really think through what that means for if they're living this mission and the impact it's going to have. And we're going to work with them to create a visual about how everybody in that organization helps fulfill this mission. And then we'll talk to them about how are you going to use this visual as a tool to take it to the people that report to you and talk about it, right? Um, so that, you know, that's one example. Another example, so that's kind of around like aligning and engaging a company culture. Um, another example is just around strategy. We worked with a global nonprofit. They had to come up with a new five-year strategic plan. We helped them do that. They worked on it. Now there's a visual of the strategic plan that the president needs to take to the board, tell the story and say, this is where we're going as an organization. They have global partners everywhere that they're supporting, right? And so this becomes a tool and a storytelling device for them, you know, not in a, you know, a 15-page executive summary <laughs> or business-like strategy plan, it. but as a way that they can relate and, and put that up and say, this is our mission and this is how we're going to support you, so you know, on the globe, you know, on the country level. And, you know, this is how we see you fitting into that. And, and we, we talked about how, you know, the visuals help people feel more emotional, more connected. They resonate. So those are some examples about how it gets carried out as a tool for the leadership to, um, to storytell in a way and to make it accessible to other people that are going to be either stakeholders or constituents or necessary parties to make this new vision a reality. So how often do organizations, what you just painted again, no pun intended. I don't know why these words are coming to me. You painted a great picture for me. And I'm curious how many organizations are able to in the future um, facilitate these kind of visual sessions without you I mean, I know you want love to be engaged, but is there an element where companies can say, we're going to make this part of our culture and we get to the point that we can facilitate them? Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of different um, ways that that happens. Sometimes we do workshops where we give some of these more basic tools to folk and you know, they commit to saying, okay, we're going to try to work this way ourselves. And it's great when an organization does that together because then you have the support of each other to say, okay, these are baby steps that we can use. We're gonna appoint a scribe at a whiteboard or we're gonna use some pre-drawn visual templates for these sessions. And they start to do that. Um, 
I have one woman who was in a workshop that the organization, you know, basically created a new position for her to do this because they saw that it was so powerful. Um, So that's one example. Um, Another example is less so that they, that they do it, but more that they rally around the visual, the meaningful tool. So we worked with a pharmaceutical company. It was their North American sales division. And we created this visual of their 2019 strategy. They came back to us last year and I was talking to this woman and she said, well, I didn't even work here when, when you did this, but I know everything in this drawing. <laughs> the CEO talks about it. We, there's, there's four headwinds that are like basically their strategic drivers. She's like, everyone knows everything in this drawing. That's awesome. And now the challenge is, is we couldn't have gotten through COVID without this meeting, but now we need to do it again and we need to do it bigger, you know? <laughs> and so they came back and had their own really insightful thoughts about what the metaphor was going to be for the 2021 visual and the yeah. 2021 strategy. And you know, they spent a lot of time kind of crafting what that metaphor was going to be. And then we went through strategic planning where we populated this, this visual that now the whole organization knows and is sort of expecting. It's interesting so, that you say yeah. that because imagine how much time it takes for them to just come up with the concept and then get into the planning. And so many companies would miss that, but they saw the value and it's used to tell the story, not the plan. And so there's so much, so clearly they saw the power in doing. Yeah. I mean, you have to hand it to the leadership too, right? So the the first time around, uh, the North American sales leader was like, I don't want to do this myself. I want my team to do this. I want everyone to do it. We're going to present it. We're going to talk around it. Right. So some of it is having a leader that understands the power, that understands the power of, of visual leadership inherently. And then sometimes it's sort of, to your point, Jeff, sort of coaching them to say, okay, now we, you've created this. These are the ways that, you know, that you can use it and socialize it and speak to it um, so that you can galvanize people and, and make it a meaningful image in your organization. Well, I think, Nora, you, what you just said there is so important. And I guess I'll ask you a question for you to put a bow on this. You used a phrase you've used before, which is visual leadership. And I, I, that strikes me because I think it'd be easy for people to listen to this and say, oh, this is just about innovation. <laughs> we have to be creative in innovation. But you're really talking about literally leading, managing, strategizing in a business using this visual approach, right? Yes. This is not narrowly, this isn't just about innovation. That's right. That's right. It's not just about innovation. Um, it, you know, you can see it as innovation if you haven't done it before, right? That's like an innovation of approach. But um, Sometimes we'll work with the clients at the beginning of, of the life cycle of a project, which is the brainstorming, the, the scanning, the innovation part. But a lot of times it's about it's farther down the road where it's strategy and it's implementation. Um, and that's, you know, a power. That's a great place to, to make sure you're using visual so that you can make it clear and concrete. You can show people where they fit into the picture. Mm. You can use metaphor, like you were saying, Jeff. Um, and 
you know, we were talking about everybody being creative. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of approaches leaders take to being creative and the visuals can be a way to augment that, right? Um, to either augment the creativity they already have because they're really colorful storytellers or they already speak metaphorically. Um, or, you know, sometimes that that isn't their innate thing, but we're helping them use that as a way to clarify their message. I love this. I knew it was going to be a fascinating conversation, and it has been. My eyes have been opened literally and uh, metaphorically today. So thank you for all of this, Nora. We, we always want to have our guests uh, share with us and the audience, what is something you want to highlight or promote for you or your business? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, you know, we would love to work with with anyone who's facing some of these leadership challenges and help design and create the visuals to help you move from that idea to action. But also, if you want to just dip your toe in it, as I mentioned, I have a book, Draw Your Big Idea. Just bought it. It has, <laughs> it has 108 visual exercises um, that you can basically do to work through some of these these issues and i give you permission to steal freely from it for <laughs> for yourself uh so that might be a great place for a, a listener who's curious and, and wants to get started and you can find that um at booksellers or of course amazon awesome and what's the best way for people to connect with you nora you can um find me on linkedin nora Herding. Or visit our ImageThink site, imagethink.net. Awesome. Well, we always wrap up with a couple of uh, our signature questions. And the first one for you, Nora, is tell us about this dinner you're going to have with someone living. Who are you having dinner with? And what's the one question you're going to make sure to ask them? Oh, okay. So I kind of cheated on this a little bit <laughs> because I just recently learned and maybe you already knew this, that the oldest living vertebrates are Greenland sharks. They're dated to be between 300 and 512 years old. Wow. I know. Amazing, right? So some of them were swimming when the pilgrims first sailed, wow. you know, from England. To, <laughs> so I, I would have to speak shark, um, you know, to, to actually have them to dinner. But I'm just fascinated what, uh, you know, what they've seen or experienced. Can you imagine? Wow. They, they apparently don't reach sexual maturity until they're 150 years old. So can you imagine waiting that long before you actually had sex? I don't know. That might, you got a lot of questions. I, you did change the question up and I love it. Wow. You went to that's a amazing. entity. That is so cool. And, and if we, depending on our, our personal belief systems, we could even say with a brick, for example, I'd love to have dinner <laughs> with a brick from some historic building that was in on all the conversations, yeah. like Freedom Hall or something. Brilliant, Nora. Clearly, you don't focus on the box. There's there's no box, right? This is, there's <laughs> no paint by numbers with Nora. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Right. Nora, I love That's it. Great. So the second question, I can't wait to see what this answer is going to be, <laughs> is what's that movie or movie scene or movie character that speaks to you about leadership? Okay, so again, I sort of took this a little sideways. So it's not a character. It's actually a documentary called Tim's Vermeer. Have you either of you seen this? Mm -mm, so no. it's, uh, it's about this guy named Tim Jensen, 
who, uh, you know, was an entrepreneur, made million, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in video editing software and becomes obsessed with trying to recreate a Vermeer painting using technology that he believed Vermeer used to, right. to make this painting. And what I love about it is, you know, we talked about artists, we talked about entrepreneurs, is that Tim, he could retire. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's sold this business and he just becomes so curious about this one idea and sort of obsessed about it, where he pursues it so utterly and so completely that, um, I find that, you know, re really, really moving, you know, and really inspiring when someone has this curiosity and is just incredibly dedicated and, and ropes all of these people into this project that becomes like five or six years long um, to prove this hypothesis that he has. So um, it came out, I think, in 2013. Uh, Tim's Vermeer, highly, highly recommend it. It's pretty fascinating. It has Penn and Teller in it. Yeah, exactly. So you've seen it, Craig. No, I haven't. I was just looking it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that. he's friends with, with Teller. And I think Teller ends up um, co-producing the, the documentary. Yeah, directed by yeah. Teller, yeah. Yeah. I love cool. new perspectives. <laughs> and I got yes. a bunch of them today. Oh, and, for sure. Uh, yeah. I'm going to get further out of my comfort zone. So thank you for that, Nora. Thank you for your wisdom. And thank you for the, the ways you're transforming how leaders do leadership and do business. Yeah, yeah well, thanks for all the great conversations today. And um, if you do do that, uh, visualize your role. Send me uh, some shots of uh, what your team draws up. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.